Today's episode will begin to outline the most fundamental political issue of our time, the partisan divide, and the polarization of our national politics. We'll touch on the history of partisanism, the Federalist Papers, and answer the question, so what's the big problem? Join us as we work to break the two-party mindset and reshape our ideas on U.S. politics. This is Episode 2 of Escaping Left, Right, and Center. Hello, welcome back. My name is Taylor. I'll be your host. Last week, we laid out some of the, just the, the foundation, the ideas, the, uh, the mindset of how we're approaching this topic. If you missed it, you can go back and listen. Uh, the, the biggest thing to summarize is that we are rejecting the idea of there are only two answers, right? We're trying to put in the work to think about politics without relying on this old, soggy, decaying vocabulary of left versus right, where uh, the two big parties land on certain issues. So uh, each week we'll be focusing on a new topic that relates to the partisan problem and what are some potential uh, ways that we could fix, address, or correct them. Some uh, additions or clarifications. Maybe clarifications is too strong of a word from last week. So I wanted to add a few additional qualifiers to what we're going to be doing here to sort of help further build out the idea. So the first thing is, this will not be a news show or a reaction to the news show. I think that already exists in plenty of places. If that's something you want, you can go and find it. I find that in my experience, that type of show seems to be a bit echo chambery. is uh, maybe unfair in some instances, but I think they find their consumer base, they speak to their audience, and they're not particularly interested in... Um, evangelizing, let's say, to groups outside of the folks that they are targeting. So, we will not be discussing uh, indictments, low-grade narcolepsy, centenarian TikTok policies, anything like that, cities that are on fire or underwater, uh, or any specific dates in January of 2020. None of that is going to be part of this program. Like I said, there are plenty of places to hear people talking about that, and uh, you're welcome to go find those folks. But that's not what we're doing here. This is also not going to be a uh, comparing two sides show. So uh, when we pick a topic that we're discussing, we're not just going to say the Democrats' perspective is this, the Republicans' perspective is that. Now let's try and make a judgment call in between. I don't think that that is... Uh, productive in the long term because it's just going to make us choose which of the flawed uh, thought processes we're in the mood for that day. Uh, so what we're going to do when we pick a topic like economics, immigration, something like that, we're going to really try and dive into the weeds, into what the ideal looks like for each of those things. Hopefully we can establish a well-researched conclusion about that topic that should self-support or not self-support, but you know the, the scientific theory where we have a hypothesis, we test the hypothesis, we look at it throughout history in light of U.S. Uh, sort of the Constitution, what did the founders think, and can our conclusion stand on its own two feet, uh, irrespective of what the current uh, left-right 
folks would say about it. We're going to do that. We're not going to use linguistic shortcuts of the current uh, vocabulary. So here's an example. We've all heard the term bailouts, right? This has been thrown around quite a bit, especially if you were politically aware back in the 2008-2009 era. We hear about things getting uh, bailed out all the time. But what does that mean? Like, I think most of us have some semblance of an understanding as to what a bailout is. But what's the history of that term? What does it mean from a policy perspective, a monetary perspective? I mean, we want to really get into the the nutty crunchy of this, right? Fun fact, uh, the first U.S. government bailout was 1792 instead of calling them depressions or recessions they called them panics which i think is a uh, a hilarious term they changed it because people would get worried when they'd start calling things panics which you know that makes sense but our dear friend alexander hamilton was the first one to officially bail out a section of the economy and you can go read more about the Panic of 1792, if that's something that interests you. In later episodes, once we do a lot of this sort of uh, foundation work, this groundwork, I'm hoping to introduce some philosophical constructs that are going to help guide us through that analytical process of take the topic, get into the weeds, establish a sequence of ideas, come to a conclusion. But That'll be a little bit later on down the line once we get through some of this higher level stuff. Okay, so after all that, on to the main point of today, which is what's the big problem? Before we begin to answer that, we should define our terms. So we will go to our friends at Merriam-Webster and we'll begin with the word partisan, which I think this has a wonderful definition. Uh, Partisan a firm adherent to a party, faction, cause, or person, especially one exhibiting blind, prejudiced, and unreasoning allegiance. I think that's great. I like that quite a bit. Uh, The second word would be polarized, which just means break into opposing factions or grouping. comes from the Latin uh, referring to the poles of the earth. So we have these issues, partisan, polarized, we all know those words, and they seem to just be deeply ingrained into the American political mindset. Like, it's just inescapable, this sort of pick-a-side, one or the other. And so the question I had, is this a feature or a bug, as some people say? Like, was was this part of the plan, or has this emerged since the beginning of the U.S. as a problem, which they didn't foresee. And to answer that question, we're going to touch upon one of my most favorite U.S. historical topics, which is the Federalist Papers, the oft-overlooked third child of the U.S. Revolution. We all know the Declaration of Independence. We know the Constitution. But not as many folks are as familiar with the lovely Federalist Papers. Uh, They were written by three folks, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay, who is a sleeper in the Founding Fathers category. People should know a lot more about John Jay, but they don't. That's fine. And the purpose of these papers was to persuade the various states after the 
uh, American Revolution that a strong federal government was an important part of the future American experiment. So we're going to touch upon one of these papers, Federalist Number 10, which was written in 1787 by James Madison. And in this, he lays out two theories about how factions and partisan thinking comes about, and then puts forward this idea of how this newfangled U.S. federal government is going to hopefully speak to those problems in a way that mitigates their intensity and effectiveness. So, to quickly summarize, we're going to go over to our good friends at Wikipedia, because they do a pretty good job at summarizing things. And uh, the first theory that Madison puts forward is the fact that, in his words, liberty is to faction what air is to fire. Something that is sort of a prerequisite. You can't have one without the other. Saying how, if we're going to have a society based in liberty, then it is natural, therefore, that people, as they express that liberty, they're going to develop opinions, they're going to seek out those who agree with them, and it's just a natural occurrence in a free society that factions manifest themselves. His second theory was that if you created a society with only one set of opinions and interests, it's basically impossible, it's impractical. The diversity of people's ability is what makes them succeed, according to this second theory, more or less. Madison emphasizes that economic stratification prevents everyone from sharing the same opinion. He concludes that the damage caused by faction can be limited only by controlling its effects. So, to put that in shorter terms, they basically saw it coming, right? Uh, they knew that in a free society, factions were inevitable just because of the way that humans interact with each other, the diversity of opinions that one person forms versus another. It's something that can't be eliminated unless you make a society that is homogenous in its thinking, which, of course, we know is not plausible. The nature of democracy involves that sort of push and pull of different ideas, and the Founding Fathers knew that if the groups were going to form, then they better do something to address it. So the whole idea of a democratic republic, which a lot of people, you know, they say we live in a democracy, and that's true to some respects, but it's important to note that we are a democratic republic. Which, to oversimplify, means that there's a check and balance put in between the mob mentality of the majority and the folks actually making policy. So it's a way to preserve the minority while still working at the behest of the majority. Again, this is an oversimplification of a democratic republic. One of the things they discussed was how um, by having representatives, instead of it just being, you know, mob rule, 51% wins, they had representatives who were responsible for large groups of people. And in so doing, those representatives would need to have the consensus of their constituents, basically. So if I'm the representative for, let's say, 30,000 people, 
enough of those 30,000 people are need to, going to need to support the way that I think about things in order for me to get elected as their representative. So it sort of adds a, a middle layer uh, in between just group majority consensus and how things get done in the actual government. So that's a whole rabbit trail we could go down, but we're not going to do that right now. Did the founders know that factions and this type of thinking was going to be a problem? The short answer is yes. Um, and we know that because of not just the Federalist Papers, but many of the other founders were opposed to formal parties, and especially the two-party state. Um, I think of that famous quote from John Adams where he says, There is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the Republic into two great parties. Sound familiar? This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. Not a cheery outlook from Mr. Adams. Another lesser-known president, I feel like more people should appreciate the role John Adams played in our founding. Here's a quote from Washington during the famous farewell address. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends, like they get stuff done. They are likely in the course of time to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be able to subvert the power of the people. And uh, we can clearly see from Adams, from Washington, from other writers that partyism, a two-party state, was something to be avoided. George Washington famously had no party affiliation and was very opposed to Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton becoming the ch champions of their own parties almost immediately once the U.S. came into existence. Not cool, guys. We'll go into more of those specific parties at a later episode. So to wrap it up, we have this issue that everyone seems to recognize as an issue that even the founders of the country recognized as an issue, and yet here we are still struggling with the same thing today after how many iterations, how many congresses, how many newspapers have come and gone, and we're still fighting this problem of partisan, factious thinking. We know the founders saw it coming. We know they took a crack at putting something in place to help fix it, hypothetically. I think we can diagnose some success in places and failure in other places. And I think we're living in a specific time in history where we have the internet and social media and 24-hour news networks that are compounding this problem that has always existed. I think, however, there is one element that does not get enough credit. I don't even know to what extent folks think about this, but there's a mechanical issue as well, one that's in our the actual system that we use to elect people, which is called First Past the Post. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about First Past the Post and why it doesn't work so well. And then we'll also spend a little bit of time talking about the primaries and their surprisingly profound effect on fringe groups, uh, fringe ideas in a group. So to answer the question, what's the big problem, we still wrestle with factions and partisans, even 200-something years after 
the U.S. began. So certainly, certainly there's got to be a better way. And I think that's what we're in pursuit of here. So, I know that was a lot. We went quickly. I'm slightly overwhelmed. Hopefully you are less so. Uh, but we very briefly touched on how even though the Founding Fathers knew that partisan thinking and factions were unavoidable, they took some steps to fix it. They worked a little bit, but not enough. Next week, we're going to dive into the real meat and potatoes of why we currently only have two parties. In the meantime, between now and next week's episode, if you'd be so kind as to uh, rate the podcast, follow the podcast on your platform of choice, that would be lovely. I got a ton of great feedback from episode one, so I'm very encouraged, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to future episodes. So, before we say goodbye, uh, we'll have a quick word from this week's uh, quote-unquote sponsor. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time. Fried potatoes, crisp and light, they'll taste so good tonight. Fried in Fluffo, Canada's highest quality shortening at a low, low price. Fluffo fried potatoes are tasty, digestible. Fresh, pure Fluffo, Canada's highest quality shortening at a low, low price.